Welcome to episode 22 of the Play Like a Champion show, a podcast from Play Like a Champion today. I'm Pete Piscatello. I'm joined by Kristen Sheehan. We'll get to today's guest in just a moment, but first, a couple of notes. Thank you for listening today. If you missed any of our previous episodes, be sure to go back and take a listen. We have talked to some amazing people changing the world of youth and high school sports. You can find the Play Like a Champion show in all your favorite podcasting services. Be sure to click that subscribe button and rate and review. That makes sure you get the episodes as soon as they drop and others can find the show. Finally, connect with us on social media so we can interact at PLC, the number four character on Twitter and Instagram, at Play Like a Champion on Facebook, and you can find us on our website, www.playlikeachampion.org. Our guest today is Derek Perry, a counselor at Oaklawn Psychiatric Center in South Bend, who has been instrumental in the Michiana Athletic and Recreation Association. We'll touch on those areas and so much more with Derek. First, I want to bring in Kristen. Kristen, welcome once again to the show. Hey, Pete. How's it going today? Oh, it's going great. Living the dream. Living the dream. I'm telling you, Pete, we got to hang in there. I mean, this is somewhat of a long winter. We still have our challenges in today's world, but we've got to hope. We got to believe. We got to hope that things will get better. And I... I know they will. And in fact, they're better for us today because we've got Derek with us. So welcome, Derek. Uh, So excited to have you with us. And uh, I want to get our listeners going here. Uh, So can you tell us about your upbringing and share with our listeners whether sports played a role in your life as a youth? Well, for starters, I was born and raised in South Bend, Indiana. Um, Like we just talked about a little while ago, I grew up about a mile away from Notre Dame, which is now about a quarter mile away from uh, from Notre Dame due to the growth of the uh, campus, which is a good thing. Um, growing up in South Bend, there wasn't a lot to do. And a lot of Notre Dame students would tell you, uh, a lot of locals would tell you that there's not, not a lot to do unless you get on the highway, go over to Chicago, up to Detroit, down to Indianapolis. But the things that are, are that the things that are, are here to do is sports. And what I mean by that is, um, there's many travel leagues. There's a lot of parks. Um, I re- just remember growing up, going up to Notre Dame, playing basketball on the courts at Notre Dame. That's where all of the um, all of the athletes went. Anybody that had thought they had any skills, they went up to Notre Dame and played right there, right outside the Steffen Center. And uh, I found myself up there a few times. Uh, and there were some big boys there. Uh, I got a chance to play with uh, Sean Kemp up there before. I'm pretty sure many, many Notre Dame students, rather football players, basketball players, but just growing up in that atmosphere um, was just awesome. And sports, like just growing up right there, oh, just south of Notre Dame, football was always a big thing. And I went. I'm a I'm a student of John Adams and. Uh, Football was always huge, but I didn't play. Um, I was a small guy, um, so I didn't play a lot of football, but basketball was kind of my thing. Um, but I like I work with, working with kids nowadays, I like to tell them that you have to have a lot of things going on in life. And just a small example would be uh, you have school. You, get, you can get you a job as a teenager. Uh, you can play some sports. Uh, you spend some family time. You go to church. Church, and I just leave that at a small five uh, list. And you take that and you take a pie and you cut that into five pieces. And what you see is it's hard to get in trouble when you spread your time. 
And so sports took up most of my pie. And what I mean by that, it, I didn't get a chance to play in high school uh, basketball, but like my senior year, I only had like English and Spanish and a bunch of uh, uh, like, like study halls and, 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 and gym stuff like that. So I find myself playing basketball all day. I find myself playing basketball in my gym classes. We'll get a, get a group together at lunch and we'll play. And then after after school, we'll go over to the Grove, which is on the north side of South Bend. We'll go play for a little bit. And then when the sun goes down, we we'll go over to the King Center about 7, 38, 8, 8 o'clock and play for the rest of the night until about 10 o'clock. And that was just the life of keeping us busy, keeping us out of trouble and 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 just being able to meet new people and 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 grow as a human being. Well, it's such a great example and, you know, probably the experience of a lot of our listeners uh, when it comes to youth sports and uh, just hanging out and playing as much as they could. Uh, you're a counselor at Oaklawn in South Bend and work with a number of at-risk youth in the community. Uh, first, tell us more about your job and then perhaps more broadly what you see as some of the major issues facing our kids today. Awesome. Well, what I do at Oaklawn is considered, uh, it's called High Fidelity Wraparound. And exactly what it is, is uh, it's a 12 to 18 month program where we work intensively with the youth, the family, and we try to build them a team. Um, and what I mean by that is most people come in with um, several systems involved. They have school system. Uh, some have the Department of Child Services. Some have juvenile justice. Most of them have medication management, skills training, therapy and all that good stuff. And so that's a. That's kind of like the basics of a team. But what we want to do is we want to link them with the community. What are the strengths of the community? Can we link them with uh, the, the the gym down the street where Johnny can lift weights uh, in the evening? Can we link him with the trainer down there? Um, wow. Uh, build the team around them, uh, build a plan and move forward and work intensive during that, during that year. Um, the way I like to describe it is when they get to us, they're in surgery. And I try, and what I mean by that is I parallel it to universal health. Uh, you have your yearly checkups, which you just check in, and 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 then you have your um, your specialties, which you have somebody with cancer, you have somebody with diabetes, and they get a little bit more specific. And then you have that person with diabetes that needs to be amputated. Well, when they take that step to the next level to surgery, that's kind of what we are doing here um, with my program. We're intensively addressing the issue that they have and bringing in as many uh, resources as we can. And like I said, we want to link them with the, the strengths of the community. We want to link them with the strengths of the family. And as we bring in these people um, that are paid supports, like the therapist, the medication management, the skills trainer, yes, those guys have titles. They, those guys have names. Um, but guess what? That's not why they're here in wraparound. When they get in wraparound, when we bring them to the table, who are they as a person? Uh, what strengths do they bring to the table? Uh, did the therapist play sports in, 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 in college or in high school or in his pastime? Well, guess what? Johnny likes to play basketball. So how can we take and put basketball into the plan? And we've done that several times where um, the only thing that gets the kids' attention is basketball. And so the entire plan is around basketball. Uh, all the jargon is basketball. So um, our goal would be, well, say we, we say the kid has an underlying need and the underlying need would be something like you have a kid that's struggling with um, sharing his feelings. And so 
will come up with something like uh, Johnny needs to know that if he passes the ball to an open player, it's a good chance that he might find himself open to share. If that makes sense. So uh, just just putting something in their perspective, using their words and put it into the plan. And it's not all mental health. Um, and, and that's what I love about it. I get to go in and just kind of put my finger on the pulse and see who we're dealing with. I have kids that uh, participate in lacrosse. We put lacrosse into the into the talk of the plan where you have people play base, baseball. And we like to come up with like a. Um, how do you say like a scoreboard or some type of visual to show them where we are? And so, like with baseball, uh, we got a kid that really loves baseball. Well, guess what? He's up to bat. Um, when he goes to school, uh, one week in a row, he might make it to first base. Uh, we get a couple weeks in a row, we make it to second base. And just reach, try, what can we do to use what they know to get to the next level and speak their language? And so, yeah. Wow, that's that's beautiful, Derek. That's so creative. And you're building into and of that person. Yes. Right? I mean, it's the person who's so important. It, they're good kids, and they need the support of the, the community and the school and uh, your coordination to coordinate all those resources to build into them. Uh, gosh, I love that. Did you create the program, Wraparound? Oh, no. I wish I did. It's actually... Uh, um program that's uh, funded through the Department of Mental Health and Addictions. And um, everything is like to the next level with this program. Um, I started off doing this work as like a, reg a regular case manager. And I found myself working with the best of the best. And when I say the best of the best, I'm working with the kids that are making the news. I'm working with the parents that are making the news. And that kind of pushed me to another level where like, hey, you're working with uh the, the 1% that most people can't connect with. And as I jumped into this program, um, I thought, of, I sat there, I was like, oh, this is just another program. Um, go, go through the motions. But as I sat there, the therapist said to us at, in the training is, she's a therapist by heart. And she had, she bought into this. And this is not a clinical thing. Um, this is something that is outside the box. Um, if things inside the box work, the normal medication management, the therapy, they wouldn't be at us right now. So we have to get creative to find ways to connect with the families and the youth and get creative with connecting them with more resources and more people to support them. Mm -hmm. One of the things you talked about was that basketball analogy, uh, where if you pass the ball, then, you know, you can see the goodness that comes of that sharing. And I think that relates to social emotional learning, which is my next question for you. Uh, you do a lot of work with this SEL, which is a big buzzword today. Mm -hmm. Some of our listeners might not be familiar with that. So can you explain what social emotional learning is and offer some ideas on how coaches and parents can learn from SEL? Well, for starters, and in short, it's the process of which people manage their emotions in a social setting. And basically, um, social emotional learning is one of those things where um, a youth, they are more likely to learn from someone when they feel safe. Um, when they don't feel safe, you're not you're going to find a kid that's not willing to connect to even learn something, whether it's a coach, whether it's a parent or or, or a teacher. Because um, all of us are teachers. And if we 
can't connect with a youth to let them know that we actually care, they don't care about anything that we know. And I, I think that's that's a that's a term that I heard as I was growing up. Um, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, and, and, and that really fits into that there. Um, there's several competencies that, that come along with social emotional learning, um, self-awareness, getting to know who they are, um, knowing their own emotions, uh, knowing who they are as far as their own identity and their culture and their neighborhood and their family. Uh, then you have self-management. Um, being able to manage those emotions, being able to move around and, and, and share their emotions in a positive way, uh, goal setting, uh, stress management, organization, um, social awareness is the third one. Um, and just, just knowing where they fit in and socially, are they socially awkward? Are they uh, the social butterfly? And just kind of knowing where they fit, where they fit in at. And number four is my big one, uh, my superpower, relationships. Um uh, they go. I think we're going to probably talk about it a little bit later on um, a, a program that I was able to put together, uh, rally, and it's built around this relationships activate lifelong integrity. Um, so with that, with those relationship skills, if they can, if you have a youth that struggles to bond with their mom and dad, which are the people that are the most important in their lives, those people are going to struggle learning from other people because the person that they trust the most and should trust the most has hurt them some ways and somehow. So they're starting off in a deficit when they start at school. They're starting off in a deficit when they go play a sport because the person that they are used to learning from, their coach, their teacher that is natural, has harmed them in one way or another. And then the fifth uh, competency is decision-making. Um, just being able to uh, um, just being able to make those right decisions, when to say something, when not to say something, um, when to um, when to speak up, when not to speak up. Um, yeah. So it, it's, social emotional learning really is more than a buzzword. Um, I personally see how it's affected my own child. And what I mean by that is um, I'm a Marine. And I'll put it this way. I was raised by yellers. My mom was a yeller. My dad was a yeller, the babysitter. And then I went to the Marine Corps and that stamped me an official yeller. And then so I started raising my own boys and, you know, moving slow in the morning. Hey, get up. Rip it off in them. And I find out I can phone calls home that day, getting letters home that day. And then I had to take a take a step back and realize, hey, that's me. That is part of me that I am causing this. and. Although they, I still had to, to address the fact that they weren't moving fast enough, getting up in the morning, doing what they were supposed to be doing. I changed my tone and I changed my language. I changed my verbiage, but I still said the same thing and went from some little knuckleheads in school to one getting ready to graduate from college. And one is, a, is off in the world doing his thing already. And as you guys know, getting a young black male off to college and, and, and successfully off into adulting. Making it past that 18 and 21-year-old. Man, I got a 21-year-old 20, and a 23-year-old this year. And that all goes back to that social-emotional learning. And then on the back side of it, um, my daughter, she struggled in school for a while. Um, and part of that came with uh, just her relationship with the teacher. Um, 
she had a teacher that it wasn't personal. I think it was more of just what she was used to. Uh, the comment she made to my daughter was, no freshman should be in, uh, uh, what she say, um, honors biology. And so my daughter's defense goes up. Am I not supposed to be in here? Um, why am I not supposed to be in here? Hey, teacher, I'm struggling. Can you help me? I'm going to advise you just to uh, drop this class instead of encouragement. And so you have a young lady that starts shutting down, not doing her work. But then when you find somebody to actually reach out to her and say, hey, what are your needs? Uh, what happened with you? Um, how can I get you to the next level? You find a young lady that goes from um, basically self-harming because of what's going on at school to excelling all over again just because one person showed they cared. And what if I told you that one person that showed they cared was a security guard because she left that class in distraught and the security guard was the one that was able to, to comfort her and take her to somebody that cared, which was able to build her up and take her to the next level. What a great testament to some of the things you're talking about. And thanks for sharing, uh, because certainly uh, those examples are powerful and and demonstrating that uh, that you care can go a long way, even if uh, even if maybe you don't expect to be put in that situation, uh, but you see a kid walking down the hallway or wherever you may be, uh, and you can you can be a part of that solution. So that's that's pretty cool. Well, let's just uh, go to that rally that you mentioned, uh, South Bend. You. Uh, Spearheaded a program in the schools called Rally. Uh, tell us again what that acronym stands for, if uh, we didn't catch it the first time, and um, talk about the program. All righty. Um, well, like I said, it's R-A-L-L-I, um, Relationships Activate Lifelong Integrity. And as we talk about today, we talk about that social-emotional learning. Um, it's, it's built around that social-emotional learning. It's built around trauma-informed. Uh, it is basically something that's been around for a long, long time. And all I did was add a name to it. Um, when you think about the indigenous people sitting in the circle around the fire, this is what we're doing. Um, when we talk about um, those indigenous people sitting around the fire, what they did hundreds and thousands of years ago was community build, team building, and they even held court around the, in that circle. Um, so using those same yeah, <laughs> using those same uh, strategies, um, sitting in a circle, allowing uh, for like a, a centerpiece to bring that energy, uh, using a talking piece. With COVID, we have to get creative and probably do some pointing at each other instead of passing something around or uh, have everybody bring a talking piece and you pick yours up off the floor and you talk. And then when you're done, you put it down and the next person put theirs up. But this is a new way or should I say an old way of communicating? But as we work with the youth in the schools, we're going to tell them, hey, we're going to try a new way of communicating, um, a new way of listening. Um, and, and when you we set ground rules or guidelines, should I say, um, early on and those guidelines are, you know, you speak from the heart. Um, um, uh, one person speaks at a time. Uh, only speak when you have the talking piece. Um, you don't, you do not, you can pass. You don't have to talk. You can just take the talking piece and hold it, or you can pass it right away. And, and just um, this space allows for others to be uh, safe 
It allows for people to hold uh, an issue, rather it's race, rather it's a, a relationship issue, rather it's a conflict. It allows the circle to hold it together uh, as, as a team. Um, I linked up with uh, Jim and Clark uh, Powers with uh, Play Like a Champion, and they were able to assist us over at Mara with launching this, which Monday will be my first uh, cohort started uh, over at elementary school. And I'm really excited because I had a chance to orientate the teachers a couple of weeks ago. And like I told them, it was an honor to be able to sit there and build with educators because I'm a, I'm a young street kid who would think or would have thought that I would have the opportunity to collaborate and partner with educators. Um, this is the same young man that mm, 15 years ago, if I had to go to my kid's school because he got in trouble or something, I would feel awkward. I felt anxiety walking into the school. And now these educators are willing to um, allow me to assist them in a tough time when social emotional learning, trauma informed, um, and relationships are needed the most. Oh, that's I mean, you're pouring into your community, Derek, and it's it's a great testament. We're really fortunate to be part of uh, working with you. And you know, this rally program is 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 truly. I'm mean, excited to see how it how it fans out. Um, one of the things we've been doing in Play Like a Champion is we've been teaching our coaches that peace circle process to run team meetings so mm -hmm. that it's not just about the coach preaching, but it's about the team sharing an experience. And one of the things that this uh, peace circle process in your rally group will really be able to manage is the numerous types of trauma that youth experience today. And they'll have a safe place to talk through that trauma. And you've already alluded to some of the traumas that kids might experience. If you could expound on that further, in particular, um, in this last year, we've become certainly more aware of racial trauma and systemic racism and how that impacts the youth of our communities. So can you speak to trauma, in particular racial trauma, and um, how kids can work through that? Okay. Um, well, for starters, it's just like any other trauma. It can affect you as an adult if it affects you as, as a child. Um, we've talked about ACEs in the past, um, adverse childhood experiences, and those ACEs can, if, if a person has over four ACEs, it's a good chance that they're gonna have high blood pressure, any type of heart disease, um, uh, diabetes, and different things like that. Um, when we talk about the trauma of racial inequalities, it goes back to what I just kind of talked about of going to the schools and having that anxiety um, of being there. And why would I have that anxiety of going to a school? Well, I wasn't, really wasn't welcomed as a young black male in high school. Um, once we were graduated, they don't want us to come back around. They don't want us to come visit the seniors and juniors. Um, we're looked at as outsiders now, and it wasn't any opportunities to get back in that space until we had kids. Um, 
when I graduated from high school, I went to the Marine Corps. And the Marine Corps is the few, the, the proud. In the Marine Corps, there's even fewer African-American men and even fewer prouder African-American men because when we get in there, you hear all the stereotypes. You know, the first thing they say about black men and black women is we can't swim. So why did I go to the Marines if you can't swim? So that's the very first thing I had to prove going in that, hey, black people can swim too. Um, I saw it up in the car. I was called a thug when I was in the Marine Corps by my first sergeant. Um, going back, hindsight, looking back, I go back and look at pictures. I, oh, I can see why he say that. But he said that to my face. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't stick with the United States military. Um, Another reason why I didn't stick to the United States military was I was stationed right there in North Carolina. Um, I forget the date. I forget the date. I want to say September or October of 95. They had a million man march. Um, it was on a Monday and it was nothing but a six hour drive away. I used to drive to South Bend and back in the weekend. They wouldn't allow us to go. Um, and there were some things said that. Um, that let us know that it wasn't just, it was, it was, it was deeper than what I was looking at. Um, it was a systemic thing. It was one of those things like, no, you're part of the government. You don't go things like that. And so as a, I'm still a youth, I'm still 18, 19, 20 years old. So to me, I'm still a kid learning some of these things and learn these ways. And this is our America. And so, um, it's, Racial inequalities is real. Um, in the last year, our youth have been able to see it. Our youth have been sheltered from a lot of this racial stuff. And why Why is that? Um, it's cool to, it was, it was cool to mingle. Whereas when I was growing up, it wasn't cool to mingle. Um, I have two young men that most of their peers are white. Um, I've had people tell me that I have, I raised little white black boys or little black white boys because they speak proper English, because they get decent grades in school, because they both went to private colleges. My kids did not see race at all in high school. Uh, right, right after Mike Brown, right before Mike Brown, I started having conversations with them about race and about how to respond to people. And they looked at me like I was crazy because they said, we don't live that life, dad. That's, that's old. Fast forward to 2020, it got smacked right back in their face. Um, I'm going to even rewind. I'm going to go back to 2016, January. My son was down at Manchester University. Uh, just south of South Bend. On inauguration day, he was running. He 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 ran. He was out running with the wrestling team, and he fell behind because he's a heavyweight. He got pulled over by the stinking police. The next week, Manchester police killed a man at night, two three o'clock in the morning. At first glance, I thought he was a man of color. But he wasn't. But he looked like one. It sent a chill through my body. That could have been my son. 
Fast forward to 2021. My son's on the uh, bus headed to work. A man gets on. He's he's definitely showing some signs of mental illness. And he gets on cussing out everybody on the bus. My son being who he is, like, man, we're all having a rough day, man. Why don't you have a seat? This man shows the butt of his gun and tells him to shut up. He gets pulled over by the police. I'm not going to say the, the police department because I'm not going to say the police department. But basically, they got on the bus and looked at my son and said, come here, you're the problem. But he wasn't the problem. The bus driver had to say, he's not the problem. He's the problem. And he actually has a gun. They said that he couldn't do anything unless he shot my son. Because he had a permit. So I went and picked my son up. I pulled behind the police like I was a police car and got my, and retrieved my son. This was last week. So it never ends. Um, even white people go through it. Even Hispanics go through it. Asians go through it. Racial inequality is real and it's not just blacks. Um, I've seen white people be mistreated. And we know everybody else has been mistreated. It's, it's well documented, but even white people are mistreated also, and I've seen it. Um, and I want to sh shed light on that. One of my first relationships in the Marine Corps uh, was a guy we called Country Bunkin. He was from West Virginia. He said that we were the first African-Americans he ever had a conversation with. He said there were several families that moved to a city, but they all got ran away. And all of the stuff that the people in the town said had him like, I'm not, never talking to black people in my life. And when he met us for the first time and sat down and had conversations with us, his mind was blown. Um, he loved our music. He loved the way we we dressed. He loved everything about us to the point where he was an advocate. Say that to say it's all about exposure, no matter what color you are. Well, thank you for sharing that, Derek. Um, certainly experiences that nobody should have to go through. Uh, and we acknowledge that pain and certainly uh, those issues that exist in the society around us. Every one of us needs to do better. And that's something we are certainly committed to and play like a champion. Now, you are somebody who is certainly doing your part in the community to change things that need to be addressed. Uh, just this last year, you ran for the South Bend School Board. Tell us about that experience and why you ran. Well, unfortunately, I did not win a board seat, but I did win. And what I mean by that is, let's go back to that conversation we had about my daughter getting running in, into the security guard. That was one of the reasons why I ran for school board. This started off as that, it started off with that conversation with that teacher. I emailed the school board. I let them know my, my, my pain. I sent them a four-page letter after my daughter sent me a four-page letter about how she felt. So I included them eight pages of how we felt, her four-page letter and my four-page letter. 
I really didn't hear from anybody. I actually had somebody say to me, who's the teacher? And in my letter, I actually said, I'm not going to tell you who the teacher is. I want you to do your homework, which let me know that they weren't paying me any attention. I got a meeting with the superintendent. At the superintendent, I found out I wasn't at, at the superintendent's office. I found out I wasn't there because of my daughter. I was there because of a Facebook post. The Facebook post said, if I pull my children out of the school corporation, I want to take a thousand families with me. That's going to cost the corporation. I'm going to say 2.5, 3.5 million, whatever I did in numbers. And I, I threw the numbers out there. I was there because of that Facebook post. So I ran for school board and got 9,600 votes. Just short of 10,000. I think I proved my point. If I can take care of a thousand families and make sure that they're okay and get them out of the school corporation, I think I probably can take about a good 5,000 with me if I can take care of them. That's the reason why I ran for school board um, and not and to not only fight for my baby, but to put emphasis on the social emotional learning. Because these youth are being shot down by the words of some of these teachers and administrators. Um, some of these students and parents would rather go dodge bullets in the streets than dodge, dodge the bullets of the words that are coming out of some of these officials' mouths. And as we said before, youth aren't. Youth are more likely to learn from someone that they know care and know from someone, learn from someone that is safe. So, you know, there are lots of different types of trauma, as you've acknowledged, and, you know, there's community violence, but there's also the trauma of not only not believing in a youth, but tearing that youth down. And you're involved in another thing in South Bend that we're working together with you and uh, the whole board on uh, the Michiana Athletic and Recreation Association to believe in our children and to give them meaningful activities through an athletic and recreational space. And so tell our listeners about MARA and its purpose and mission. Well, I got lucky one day. Um, and ran into, I believe it was Clark, at a function about restorative justice. And I was introduced to him by a restorative justice guru. And I was invited to come to Amara meeting, and they had just started. Um, so I went to the first meeting, and I kind of looked around. There was a bunch of coaches, a bunch of people that uh, were in sports. And I'm like, man, why am I here? And kind of looked around the room, kind of listened to the philosophy of everything and found out that my part was to bring that social emotional learning piece, bring the trauma-informed piece and tie it into the sports. And I was already trying to figure out how to do the rally piece. And I just saw it fit hand in hand into this. And so with Mara, Michigan Athletic Recreation Association, we want to make sure that there's a team for every child. Um, uh, there's so many pockets in our community where youth does don't have anything to do. Um, our youth are getting caught up in gangs. They're getting caught up in 
promiscuous and underage sex. Uh, they're getting locked up. They're getting shot. They're getting killed. Um, we have to find things for them to do. And I, I talked about that pie earlier, finding more things for them to do so we can take that pie and slice it into more pieces. There's less chance of them falling into that, that slice that might be spoiled, still in a car, uh, dealing drugs, doing drugs. Um, just give them more pieces of pie to eat that are fresh for them. Um, Mara, I envision this organization being the umbrella of all the mom and pop coaches and teams that are out here. The very first thing that I identified as I heard Mara's mission was there's a lot of mom and pop coaches and team members out here that are paying out of their own pocket um, to make sure youth get what they need. Um, what I heard from Mara was, hey, how can we all get under the same umbrella, fundraise together, uh, do some sports sampling, um, expose them to more things, uh, be able to leverage our relationships with uh, the Parks Department, the school corporation to get some of these facilities uh, that our mom and pops are struggling to use on a regular basis, which affects our youth because if we don't have access to the facilities, our youth don't have any programs to be part of. Well, we really appreciate your time today and for being so candid. Uh, I think, you know, certainly sharing experiences of the kids you work with and, and your own experiences will really help others to understand some of these important topics. Um, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, we know that sports change lives for the good, and we'll kind of circle back around to our how we started this conversation. Can you share a story of how sports has helped a young person uh, in your work? Um, I have a young man that he never played on a organized team. He actually went off to the Department of Child Services. I mean, I'm sorry, he went off to the Department of Corrections uh, his sixth grade year. He came home his senior year. All he knew was basketball. He left out of the community due to getting in trouble at school. And he got injected right back into the community full time into probably one of the worst schools in our community. And so I'm sitting at, with the doctor telling the doctor how... The system is failing him. And she was able to reach in her own Rolodex and give a contact to a coach, a basketball coach that was somebody personal in her life. And the relationship her and I had, she was willing to do that because she knows that where my heart is. She knows that I would use it sparingly. Um, and so make a long story short, I was able to link this kid with this person and they were able to start working their way to get ready to go play overseas. What a beautiful story. And thank you for that. Um, sometimes the system works due to people like you, Derek.
thank you for what you do for the kids. Uh, thank you for being part of Play Like a Champions, a team for every child. And we look forward to uh, many more months and years of building our relationship with you and learning about the outcomes of Rally. Awesome. Awesome. Can't wait to share. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, guys. Kristen, great conversation with Derek Perry. What'd you take away? Wow. It was it was just so real. And hearing the story that about his son, you know, and also his challenges being a black person, uh, you know, in the Marines and the, you know, what I've learned is called microaggressions, people say, just assumptions about black people. Um, you know, we we've we've just got to do better as a society. And and also the, you know, really struck me was how the youth he's working with, it's like others have have lost their belief in in those kids. And Derek says, you're a child, you're a child of God. I believe in you and I'm going to build into you. Um, I'm just so happy our world has people like Derek. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I love that, you know, he clearly sees problems in society and then does something about it. I mean, you talk about rally and his involvement with Mara and and all these different things he's doing, the, the school board conversation. Um, He's somebody who's taking action and trying to help the kids in the community. And that's a, a beautiful thing. Well, we want to thank everyone for joining us here on this episode. Remember, you can subscribe and download the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Do it now so you don't miss a single episode. You can also connect to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit our website, playlikeachampion.org, where you can find all that information and links to our social sites. If you'd like to learn more about what we do or have any questions for the show, information at playlikeachampion.org is our email address. Kristen, thanks as always for being here. Looking forward to our next conversation. Thanks, Pete. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. Hang in there with this winter, everyone, and have a great rest of this week. And wherever you are, remember to play like a champion each and every day. 